gummy bear. It's the internet, you're busy. Let's do this for September 21st, 2023 for the next hour or so. Let me help you sort through the world of gaming on Game Mess Mornings Live with me, Jeff Grubb. Today, a new studio has already lost its founder and more details squeak out of Xbox. But first, please join me in welcoming today's co-host to Game Mess Mornings. It's Emma Fife, everybody. Emma, how are you doing? Hello, I'm great. There's already somebody on Twitter. This is at basically Lexi uh, says, have a good show. This is when I tweeted about being on the show because apparently I'm using Twitter again. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm supposed to ask Grub why you and seven other people between the ages of 101 and 200 invested in Embracer. Yeah, well, listen, uh, us vampires <laughs> need money, too. I mean, that's just how it goes. Yeah, Lexi, what's uh, coming no, for me for being old, I guess. I'm 40. That's, that's fair. And they're 20. So that's a comp okay. fair comparison. Yeah. All right. That's why I'm much closer in age to you um, <laughs> than I am cl uh, close These in age damn to Lexi. kids. Am I right, but Emma? I will, but I will say that yesterday I actually did a sponsored stream uh, with a bunch of Twitch partners for Charles Schwab Investments. Hell yeah. Um, uh, and it was a D&D &D campaign, so I DM'd it. And basically what we were doing was we were doing time skips wherein the players could invest in different businesses in the town. Oh, fine. And we had like a guy from Charles Schwab who's like an actual financial advisor who literally would like make dice rolls and do math <laughs> to figure out how these things vested over time. It was absolutely wild um, that, okay. it was a blast i could tell that i'm an old man because what you just described there sounds like the best thing in the world that oh sounds God, like was, so uh, much no, fun truly i have to tell you that literally everybody i have spoken to about this who is over the age of 30 is like <laughs> damn that's awesome um yeah so that's uh you can check out that vod on poe belters uh twitch channel and it was this i just want to shout out um poe belter for a second he's a league of legends pro mm -hmm. and um he when we started said, you know, uh, are we going to have to do a lot of role playing? Cause like, I don't think I'm going to be very good at that. And like my other two, like one of the guys on the stream was Cleo Thomas, who's literally an actor. And so I was like, no, you're going to be fine. Like just follow Cleo's lead. Like he's an actor. It's going to be fine. It was like having a child in theater class who discovers in theater class that they love theater. Like it was, uh, it was Amazing. such a magical moment. Yeah. He was great. So anyway, um, I love yeah. That. Uh, yeah. Tabletop RPGs. They're fun. If, if more tabletop <laughs> RPGs were about investing, I would 100% be playing <laughs> exactly. every day. That would be amazing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, my understanding though, Emma, you've been busy. I have been busy. Yeah. So, um, last week, uh, was a lot of, uh, games previews happening in LA. I am allowed to publicly say that I played Alan Wake 2, though mm -hmm. I cannot divulge any details until next week. Uh, <laughs> Sam but the other Lake game, always being cute. I know, I know. Uh, but yeah, it was a cool event. I think I'm allowed to say like the event was cool. Um, it was at the same space that we had uh, Summer Games Fest. And I walked in oh, really? okay. because the other preview that I had gone to that day, which I'll get into in a second, I had just like gone to their office, you know, gone to a room upstairs with some gaming stations and played. And, you know, they had your sort of basic, here's some coffee and water bottles and granola bars. Oh, no, no. The Alan Wake event was a party. Like, I walked in and somebody immediately, like, handed me a themed cocktail and they were passing apps around. And the gaming stations were so cool. Like, everything was themed and they had, like, a fake caseboard set up. It was awesome. Um, uh, the event. I can't say what I thought of the game yet. But 
What I am allowed to talk about now is Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which I played yep. at the Square Enix offices last week. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to, I believe that GameSpot's uh, impressions that Tam and Lucy did should be up. Uh, all three of us got a chance to play. But yeah, so uh, as 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 y'all know, uh, for those of you who've seen me around Giant Bomb and those of you who watched us uh, watch the <laughs> Summer Games Fest <laughs> opening presentation <laughs> when I was name dropping uh, some deeper cut characters oh, in yeah. Final Fantasy VII, uh, that is my jam, uh, and I am delighted to report that Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is just sheer joy. Um, what I really loved about it was how goofy it is, and I think that a lot of the time when you get these more like modern gaming adaptations, there's a fear that it's not going to preserve the integrity of the the like goofier sides of the previous titles and obviously like we saw in Final Fantasy 7 remake that they were not afraid of the goofy they they like kicked it up to 11 and made it mm -hmm. so fun in the whole um wall market sequence the cross dressing and getting into Don Corneo's mansion um but yeah i mean like we basically got to play part of the Nibelheim flashback which anybody who's you know played Final Fantasy 7 you know basically as soon as you get out of Midgar you go to this town called calm and clouds like let me tell you what happened in my town five years ago uh and then you play through that flashback so i did actually get a chance to play part of that it was really fun to control sephiroth uh so sick to have him as part of the team yeah that's wild uh, and then it was it's so it's so awesome because i remember like in the flashback sequences, you didn't actually control Sephiroth even in the OG game. He was AI controlled, but now, like, you got full control, baby. And um, yeah, he's I mean, got it's, some, it's like fully uh, fleshed out that Final Fantasy VII combat system, but with Sephiroth, hundred percent, yeah, that's with Sephiroth. Exciting. And and they also added um, so from the DLC with Yuffie, wherein she only there were only two people on the team, and the other guy was basically like an AI control. You were mostly just controlling Yuffie. Uh, but they had synergy attacks where, you know, basically it's like a gauge would fill up and then they could do attacks together. Right. They've also added that into Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. But okay. now you can do like three person synergy attacks. So it's yeah, I mean, the, the, the changes to the battle system uh, are great. Uh, the other thing that we got to do was explore the area around Junon just to get a sense of what the world map is like. Right. Uh, it's big, you know what I like. It it feels like there's a lot to explore. There's a lot to do. Um, there's a lot you can do with chocobos. Uh, it, they were very kind and gave us chocobos right off the bat. Um, my only uh, sort of gripe about chocobos, I so this is this is my this, these are my two things. They're not quite as fun to ride as they are in Final Fantasy 16 uh -huh. because they can't jump. And one of the oh, things weird. that's really fun about riding Ambrosia in Final Fantasy 16, like what I would always do, is like sprint through the fields and then I'd find like a little cliff that I could actually get off and I would jump and then you could kind of like soar a little bit because chocobos are like chickens and they can you know they yeah. can fly about as much as chickens can uh but there's no jump in um Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth at least that I was aware of um so that was a bummer that I couldn't do any soaring but to their credit Red 13 who's a dog lion creature yep rides rides a chocobo well, okay, I gotta see he that. A that's unnatural. Yep, that's a, that's a, um, that defies God. It's truly hilarious. Uh, I got some good footage of it, so oh, I'll, very uh, I'll, okay. I'll try to uh, share some of that through. But yeah, again, like I, I have um, nothing but I have nothing but high hopes uh, for this game. I loved Final Fantasy VII Remake, and it seems yep. like Rebirth has really like added some fun elements. Uh, and so again, like 
When I got that email from Square, like literally the PR team was making fun of me uh, in a good way for how excited I was. Like, <laughs> like Kyle from 47 literally made like a meme where it's like all of the characters looking off to the horizon and he labeled them me. And then September 14th was the day that we played. So we like put it up in the sky where they were looking. So it's uh, it's that meme of uh, Nick Cage yep. and uh, Pe Pe Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, uh, I'm Pedro. hundred uh, uh, percent. We got it. We, we need to know. Uh, I will say right now, this is the most asked question in chat. What about oh. that? What about that segue? Oh my God, the segue. We didn't get to play mm, with the segue. Okay, okay that's what I wanted. That's um, what I figured. I figured you would have led with that. I would have led with that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, but the one other detail that I did want to point out is the way that you fast travel in this game is when you're wandering around the world randomly, a baby chocobo will appear somewhere in your vision. And then you follow that baby chocobo to a chocobo station and you stand the sign up. And then that becomes a fast travel point. Amazing. That and is... you can also, very importantly, and they literally led with this in the intro video that we watched before we played. You can pet the baby chocobos. Yay. Uh, that's going to, Mike, Mike's over that. You could pet things in, in games, but we, we, everyone else still likes it. So we got to cheer for it and rub it in his face. Uh, he's, yeah. He's going to have to get over it. Um, I don't understand stand why you would get be over petting things in games That's i don't either it's, it's a very strange thing i agree an incorrect take <laughs> yes it's just kind of a weirdo kind of thing i would say uh yeah. emma you also have a new show i do yes oh my gosh uh over on GameSpot. uh my new show launched this week uh it is called Reality Check. It's actually technically reviving an old GameSpot show that right. hasn't been around for a long time um but now it's um it's very deeply, Emma. Uh, it's deeply weird, uh, which is really who I am. And uh, yeah, so basically I'm exploring things that come up in games, uh, you know, tropes, themes, common occurrences, and kind of taking a look at where those things come from in real life, why those things might be present in games, just kind of tying different phenomena that we experience in games to the real world, be it it's uh, i was gonna say be it psychologically it it's turning out to be mostly uh psychologically yeah, mo at this mo mostly point, so. freudian jungian yeah. yeah yeah so the first uh episode is up uh right now it's so you can go check that out over on GameSpot's youtube channel it is all about uh why we love non-human romance options and then the next episode is coming out on Tuesday of next week and i can tell you uh, that the topic of this one is chickens <laughs> I um <laughs> all right. I can't wait. I <laughs> can't wait to see what's happening over there. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Say yeah. again where when and where can people find this? Tuesdays on GameSpot on GameSpot's YouTube channel. Very exciting. All right. And, okay. Yeah. Uh we're gonna get into this show now. But that was uh yes. I I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, no, you guys have been working hard on it. So great to see the the fruits yes. of that labor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's get into this mess before we do. Let's explain what we do here most weekdays. I, Jeff Grubb, will help piece your gaming life back together. That includes breaking news and maybe even some of our own original reporting. For all these topics, I'll get the input of a bona fide expert who will make me look smart. If you were watching live on Twitch, welcome. You can always listen to the show later on podcast feeds by searching for Game Mess Warnings or find the RSS on GiantBomb.com. You can also catch the show later with chapters and timestamps on YouTube. Hello, YouTube. All right, we have a lot to get into, so let's start the morning mess with Glenn Schofield is leaving striking distance after the Callisto Protocol misfired. This is from Tom Ivan at VGC. 
Striking Distance CEO Glenn Schofield is leaving the Krafton-owned studio after its debut game, The Callisto Protocol, failed to meet expectations. A Krafton representative told Bloomberg Schofield has decided to pursue new opportunities and that Striking Distance's chief operating officer and chief financial officer are also leaving the com company voluntarily. Former Sledgehammer Games and Visceral Games general manager Schofield, who is best known as the co-creator of Dead Space, founded Striking Distance in 2019 with the goal of crafting an original narrative experience in the PUBG universe. Uh, the project evolved over time into a sci-fi survival, survival horror game that dropped the PUBG franchise ties. The Callisto Protocol received mixed reviews when it launched in December, a month before EA released a critically acclaimed Dead Space remake. In January, an analyst claimed Crafton had targeted 5 million sales for the Callisto Protocol, but, the following, but that following a slow start, it could struggle to reach 2 million by the end of this year. Bloomberg reports that Striking Distance has laid off over 30 members of its staff in recent months and that it now has a headcount of around 90 employees, according to, to its website. Striking Distance's chief development officer, Steve Papustis, uh, will replace Schofield as CEO. Uh, so the studio's not closing down, at least not yet, no. Emma. But uh, this is also not too surprising. Uh, this thing had expectations way up here. It's it, 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 Reality's way down there. This is kind of yeah. what happens sometimes, right? You know what's really, I'm trying to remember exactly which of the state of play game awards, anything that shows off a bunch of game trailers. I remember there was one presentation. I don't think it was the game awards. I think it was maybe like the state of play before that or something where every other title was a space horror game. Like I, I remember Bailey I and I co-streamed I think that was the game awards. I think it was the game maybe awards. Maybe it was game awards. Yeah. Because I remember watching, I was co-streaming, you know, Bailey and I were co-streaming and I remember sitting next to her on the couch in the fandom office and we were just like, another, another space horror game? Like all I'm getting out of this is never go to space. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, I, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of what's happening in the gaming world is something that we are, uh, it, it's interesting with games because games, it's more about expectation. And in film and TV, where we're also seeing just, an, you know, I think, you know, Tam and Lucy did a, a spot on over on GameSpot recently where they were basically talking about how, like, there's too many video games. And it's the same thing with film and television, except for with television, you, with all these streamers, they'll drop a show. And if in the first season it doesn't get super duper popular, it gets canceled. And with games, it's more like if they don't, you know, sell copies right off the bat and only get mixed reviews, then that's going to automatically put studios in trouble. And it feels like we're in an era wherein it's kind of difficult to break through all the noise and very similar to what's going on in TV. You know, you have a lot of TV shows and things that do have a small, really dedicated audience. And I think that you get that with games as well. But unfortunately, it's like because there's so much to compete with, and especially when you are creating a game on a really large scale like this, not just a smaller indie title, you know, it's, it is not surprising to me that this is how things are going with Striking Distance. It, it is unintuitive the way this is all working, right? Where um, yeah. the more specific you make a game, the broader its appeal somehow. And it's like, if you were a company that's like, hey, we need to make a, a big hit, what do we do? What's well, like, well, let's make sure it's easy for enough people and it's welcoming and it's, it's all these things. And yeah, space horror, there's a lot of horror fans out there, uh, yeah. but let's spend a lot of money on the visuals. Let's spend a lot of money making sure that it looks slick. And, and then people are like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go play Baldur's Gate 3 that has all, all these very my, my, minute details that they paid attention yes. to. And I'm yeah. going to like just obsess over that. And it's like, I, you, 
you kind of can't manufacture the kind of thing that like a game like Baldur's Gate 3 did. And, you know, not that that's a great comparison for uh, for, for the Callisto Protocol, but still, it's like yeah. the, the Callisto Protocol is in this situation where it you can't make a game like that without spending a ton of money. We I can't remember what the no. what the number was, but it was something like over a hundred million dollars, maybe even getting up close to one hundred and fifty million dollars for this game. Mm-hmm. It was it was a lot of money to make this game, and it's like, yeah, I mean, what's the alternative? It's it's just your game has to look worse, it has to look cheaper, and and for games these days, if you are trying to break out, you can't, that's not really an option unless you have some other magic sauce inside there, and that again, you just can't pull that out of a hat. You can't just manufacture that. So. I, I, I get how these things keep happening, but it does continue to show the unsustainability of, of these big games and, and the, the business model a lot of these publishers have, where games are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and the, the amount of people required to make them is bigger and bigger, and now there's only a few companies that can justifiably do that a handful of times without getting a hit after hit after hit, and even like totally. the biggest companies... Like we're, you know, we uh, saw, and I, I don't have the story here, so it's like this, it's kind of still breaking a little bit. There's some yeah. details about how much uh, profitability uh, at, at Xbox, Nintendo, and Sony have, and I think it was estimated by Microsoft, but it, so it might not be fully accurate. But right. the, basically, it was like, hey, Sony spends the most money, and then their profitability is actually lower than Xbox mm-hmm. and Nintendo. And it's like, you know, when you look at it. If you look at those games that they're putting out, that makes sense because their games are bigger and more expensive it, than the other ones. And it's like, what if one of those goes bad? What if like two in a right. row flop? That's real bad. Absolutely. And I mean, Sony's model is releasing games. You yes, know, the it's biggest like games. I know the, the biggest games. Exactly. Nintendo is too, but Nintendo's always going to Nintendo. They will always have their core properties that are only ever going to be on. Nintendo and they are not systems. afraid to save a buck on things a, here and a there. Thousand yes. percent, yeah. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Sony spends all the money to put out all these flashy looking titles. Meanwhile, you have Xbox whose focus. Yes, they are definitely, you know, tipping, dipping their toes in the not in the same way that Sony is obviously, you know, they, they own Bethesda and they put out Starfield and you can only play that on Xbox or PC. Uh, and, but I mean, I still stand by Xbox's model is game pass. They just want you to have a game pass subscription. Yep. It's uh, yes, uh, for, for sure. And it's like, uh, and that means a variety and there's a lot of incentives that are very good there, but it's, oh, yes. uh, but it, it's, it, if you were just like looking at this from how these decisions get made and how these companies mm-hmm. feel good about that, uh, clearly it's working for Sony. So they're going to keep, they're, they're going to keep Absolutely. doing it, but you also see why they are eyeballing the games as a service and not just eyeballing yep. it there. That's their big investment push right oh, now yeah. is, Hey, we need, we need games that like cost way less than what we're spending or even if they do cost the same they have the potential to make to make way more down the line and and not games that are going to be kind of like 20 to 30 dollars two years after they come out after they cost 200 million dollars for us to make and it's like yeah i can see how that would be pretty like you look at that it's like they're loss leaders even though they're probably not losing money they're not making the profit level that that uh that a company like uh nintendo has seen from its games so it's like okay well then we we have to make it somewhere else and that's going to be the games as a service and obviously sony makes a ton of money from like uh fortnite and call of duty and all that stuff but for companies that aren't sony that aren't nintendo or xbox it's you know they don't have the ecosystems you know uh, no. uh the, the crafted doesn't have an ecosystem they have the the PUBG ecosystem if you're playing PUBG a lot in the mobile game sure but if you like hey me and my friend group are now going to go play a different game if you're PlayStation and they're still playing on PlayStation and they start spending microtransactions on there you're going to get a cut of that if you're if they're if you're crafting you like you have PUBG, but you know that's not going to be around for forever forever so you are looking for the next thing that could start generating revenue and if it's not this it's like okay well that's that's not 
just a kind of a disappointment. This is a a, a threat to our existence because mm-hmm. we now we that was an opportunity cost that we wasted. We we burned that, and now we have to do that all over again. And now we're going to be even more risk averse. We're going to be even we're having even less money to spend on this stuff. And it's it's unsustainable, is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. So not a surprise that this is how things are going. I, I do wonder what happens with Glenn Schofield uh, next. He's bounced around yeah. a couple places now. I'm probably I, I I hope this is like a lesson learned kind of thing where it's like, hey, just do something that that really gets you your creative juices flowing. Uh, uh, well, Glenn Schofield, a very creative guy. Yeah. Like, focus on that side of things, right? Well, that's what I was gonna say is because I feel like you know the titles that tend to pop off outside of you know your your big. Sony's Xboxes and and Nintendo's they're often indie games um and they are indie games that have some sort of element of creativity that people just really just or like a good gameplay element just something that there was clearly like a lot of thought and passion put into them whereas to me like Callisto Protocol as you say like initially started off as it was going to be like a PUBG narrative and then it spun off from that and then it ended up in this ocean of uh of horror uh space games so but but then i look at something like you know one of the games that we've really been seeing um popping off lately and we got a lot of comments about wanting an honest trailer for and ended up doing one uh was like sea of stars which is a you know classic jrpg and if you do the genre thing extremely well People have love for that kind of thing, and and they will come. <laughs> Do you you know who did pull this off? Uh, is Hideo mm. Kojima with Death Stranding? Yeah. <laughs> you know, as much as like look going into Death Stranding, I was like, man, this asshole is going to spend all the money in the world. It's going to take years and years. And I'm like, oh, it's already here. How oh, this game's yep. kind of interesting. And then it's like the more you play it, the more you're like. Fuck, you did it again. <laughs> I know. Like, I know. I, You're like, this is a walking simulator. Like, what's happening right. here? But it's like he, yeah. he saved money in that making that game where it made sense. And then he mm-hmm. still had all his Kojima bullshit in there. And then he still had like a really good core idea of like this connected world. And that was all part of leading into the themes. And it's like that that is judiciously using the resources you have available to you in a way that is obviously it's very clever and it's obviously coming from someone who has done this for a very long time and knows what they're doing and has a certain confidence. And I think that's the, the lesson to be learned there. Hey kitty. Yeah. Hello kitty cat. Sorry. He's screaming at me. So we can I barely hear. Him so we're doing good over here. Uh, all right. Let's keep moving here. A bunch more Xbox game passes, con- uh, game pass games confirmed, including another day one title. This is from Darren Bonthus at GameSpot. Xbox game pass subscribers can look forward to something big, some big new games in the near future as like a dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name and like a dragon Ishin will be added to the library of subscription services alongside several other titles for like a dragon Gaiden. The, uh, the interquel as they're calling it will be available as a day one release on game pass. And, it, and when, when it launches on November 9th, Xbox announced this at the Tokyo Game Show last night during like a 40-minute long thing that they had. Mm -hmm. Uh, Set after Yakuza 6, the Song song of Life, and during Yakuza Like a Dragon, Like a Dragon Gaiden focuses on Kazuma Kiryu. Is that how I say it? Yep. Yep, Kazuma Kiryu. You nailed it. (laughs) Kazuma Kiryu, yes. Uh, The the legendary Yakuza who faked his own death so that he could protect his family. (laughs) Now operating under the codename of Joryu. Uh, Kiryu, uh, Kiryu becomes caught up in a new plot that threatens to expose him and his loved ones in danger. Blah blah blah. Uh, this is uh, yeah. uh, this is pretty pretty cool. I, obviously, it seems like Sega has bought all in on uh, on Game Pass. On they, Game Pass, they, right? Yeah. They, they put a few games in there, and then now now like they are putting some of these ones that aren't their biggest 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 games. 
Like nope. yeah, Yakuza or like like a dragon, infinite wealth. Probably not gonna be day one in Game Pass. But the totally. next tier down of Yakuza game being in Game Pass, that feels right to me. I don't know. What do you think? I, I totally agree. And it's super interesting to me because I, I feel like the Yakuza games in general, I wouldn't call necessarily i mean it's definitely like it's one of the biggest series i would say that like sega basically owns the licensing to at this point but i i do think that in in terms of like the u.s market the yakuza games are a they they have a very 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 dedicated cult and growing and it's they're not yeah exactly and growing and they're not they are not obscure by any stretch of no. the imagination. I would I would hazard to say that most people who are into gaming have heard of the Yakuza Even when games they were before. disappointing uh, Sega back in the day on like totally. PS2 and stuff, PS3 or whatever it was, even then yeah. they weren't obscure. Like people still talk about them. They were no, deciding not to buy yeah, them. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think that now, you know, this strategy, and they've been putting a bunch of the Yakuza games on Game Pass, it's a, it's a, a such a smart strategy. I think so too, and it's um, you know? and and it, it, the companies that have mostly embraced Game Pass in terms of putting day one games out, uh, the, mm-hmm. and not but day one games that are single player, multiplayer games yes. have been in there a bunch of times, and those make a lot of sense, uh, because that gets the the kind of ju- the juices flowing of flow, flowing of a building a community, and that's just a right. natural fit. But for the single player totally. games from like companies like Sega and Capcom, because Capcom is putting out that. And I'm never going to be able to remember the name, but the one that kind of looked like Animusha that they announced at Summer Game Fest. Oh, that's right. Yeah, something yeah. like Princess, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. It looks fun. Right. And it's like, okay, so like Sega's had success in Game Pass. They're coming back and they're not just coming back. They are increasing sort of their participation in Game Pass with day one single player releases. And Capcom is now doing the same thing. It's like, okay, so they are clearly liking what they're seeing. Probably mm-hmm. the thing that they're liking is the big check from Microsoft, but they're also not seeing like any <laughs> real true detrimental effects from being in Game Pass. And I totally. think we can kind of put to get piece together that that's also likely true based on the way that Forza has performed uh, in terms of sales and then also still being in Game Pass and getting a lot of plays that way. And now yeah. Starfield, a game that's in Game Pass and people can play it that way and yet has been one of the biggest get, like just straight up sellers of the year so far. Oh, yeah. So, so it, the, the, I think these companies are now kind of being won over uh, by this and that, now it's like okay does that continue to build to the point where game pass can be sustainable between the games microsoft is putting out and then the, the partnerships with these third-party games seems like they could get there it's at least it's not moving backwards at the very least it's definitely not moving backwards and i know that i've talked about this before but i, I think that one of the smartest strategies that microsoft has had because obviously you know they express interest in these things. And then basically these companies are in a position to say, yes, we, you know, yes, buy our game for Game Pass. Uh, And, you know, we, we agree to this deal basically. But one of the things that Microsoft has been really smart about is targeting these import games, targeting things like Yakuza and Persona. um, And as somebody who is a big, you know, single player girly, mostly plays Japanese import games, like I already thought Game Pass was a great deal. This just makes it even more valuable to me. Right. And it, I mean, even if it's not like, I bet you buy a lot of these games because they, they're the kinds of things you're into. I bet you still buy oh, totally. a lot of them. Oh, it yeah. is, it, I think it, some of the value is, hey, a friend that I would have previously hesitated to say spend 60 to $70 on this game. You, If you already have an Xbox, go get Game Pass for a month, try a couple of these. And then you the, the barrier of entry is way lower. And I feel better about recommending something to someone. And then there's, an, yes. yeah, then there's yet another person I could talk to about this, which is one of the real values of these games and be able to share the, the experiences with one another. So yeah, yeah, that's the power of Game Pass. And it does yeah. seem like it's, 
it is not like completely stormed the industry. I think the way that uh, the predictions once once were, but it's totally it has found its place. It's found its footing, and it seems like it has a strong path forward, even if it's a slow and steady race. Yep. Uh, let's see. Kenitsu Gani Path of the Goddess is the game that we were trying to think okay, of. Okay, there we go. go. Path of the Goddess Princess, is what we'll call Goddess. it. Yes, we, whatever. We knew it All had the some same sort thing. of uh, lady, lady of note. It uh, ends in, in the, the letters ESS or whatever. Yes, there we go. We were close enough. Uh, yeah. Okay, let's see here. Xbox Series X versus Xbox Series S. Which sells better? This is from Eddie McCoo at GameSpot. The massive Xbox document leak has revealed lots of juicy information about Microsoft's gaming plans and other information, including a breakdown of Series X and Series S sales. As it turns out, Microsoft's prediction that the less expensive and less powerful Series S would be better selling device turned out to be true, at least at, at least at one time. Well, kind of, there's some updates here. IGN reports yeah. that one of the leaked documents shows that the Series S accounted for 74.8% of sales, with Series X making up 25.1% at least in the relatively early days of the platform's life cycle. This information is accurate as of early 2022, but the mix has uh, has shifted significantly since then, it seems. And this is the update. Circana analyst Matt Piscatella said on Twitter that Series S makes up a bit more than half of the total sales of new co- Xbox consoles in the US. Chris Dring, who um, monitors, the, monitors the sales in the UK uh, through uh, GFK, he mentioned mm-hmm. it's almost exactly the same in the UK now. A little bit more than half is Xbox Series S. S, yeah. Series S, $300, less powerful, uh, same kind of CPU, but less powerful, less storage, uh, but much more available in the early days. Now, and then the Xbox Series X, $500. This is just basic economics working in their favor, right? Give us give a lower uh, price option, more people are going to buy it. Again, coming back to the Game Pass of it all, This, I remember when both of these consoles launched and how brilliant I thought it was that they were offering the Series S because the whole idea is you get the console in the home. You know what I mean? You get the the Xbox in in the house. Correct. And then you build the ecosystem. So this is not surprising to me. I I remember the Xbox Series S when I heard it was only $300. I was like, that's ridiculous. That is, uh, that's a steal. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, I, I, I recommend the series S to everybody. Uh, I don't have an, I don't have a series X. I have a series S yep. it's a game pass machine. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, especially if you are, if anyone who is coming from building that ecosystem on or building their own library on something else, last generation, like the PS4, yep. or the PS5, like you're going to keep that and that there's so much, so much oh, momentum yeah. there, but if you want access to game pass, if you want to play some of these other games, series S has proven to be mostly a very fine option. And it's definitely, it's definitely the one like uh, for people who are like just kind of curious about games uh, or, or like maybe they're like wanting something gaming related for Christmas. It's like that's the gift one right there. I think that yeah. for for PlayStation, it's like it shouldn't be that hard to fight against it with like, oh, it's only $100 more to get a real PS5. Sure, it's a digital edition, but but so is the Series S. And it's only $100 right. more and you get the, the full fledged, full fat experience. I know. But the digital edition is has been so rare to find. I mean, I got one, but it took me weeks so of like actively rare. Yeah, searching I, for it. I wanted a digital one i was like i don't need one that has discs but of course i have a disc one <laughs> yep and then and you can compare it to the switch which is 300 dollars, but 350 dollars for that oled and you look pretty good compared to that too because you're you significantly look- more powerful than that oh much more powerful yes. and if you uh need an example just look at the side by sides of mortal kombat one yep, looking pretty rough <laughs> over there uh, we'll see we talked about that yesterday where it's like yeah they're gonna update it but we'll see how far oh, they're man. able to get we'll see 
Uh, <laughs> all, right. all right, moving along here. Criterion joins EA Entertainment to focus on Battlefield development. This is from Tom Ivan at VGC. Criterion Games has moved divisions within Electronic Arts to work on the Battlefield franchise. EA restructured its studios into two organizations this past summer, and Criterion has switched from EA Sports to EA Entertainment. It will also continue to work on the Need for Speed series, according to Respawn co-founder Vince Sampella, who now leads the EA studios responsible for Apex Legends, its Star Wars games, and Battlefield games. As we said before, we're all in on Battlefield, he said in a blog post. Today, Criterion is added to our world-class Battlefield studios dedicated to ushering in a new era for the franchise. The majority of the team will be working alongside DICE, Ripple Effect, and Ridgeline that are led by Byron Reed, GM of Battlefield. Criterion's experience with Battlefield, our technology, and building, and building engaging experiences will have an immediate positive impact as we continue to work on Battlefield 2042 and as we continue pre-production on a connected Battlefield universe. EA announced in February 2020 that had handed Need for Speed development duties back to Criterion as it planned to restructure Ghost Games, which made the last four entries in the racing series. Um, Criterion's one that's always kind of up and down, where I'm like, I, a lot of the key talent that worked on the games that I remember Criterion for, Burnout series, uh, even Black, a lot of them have, have moved on, uh, mm -hmm. but they, they have maintained a culture, it seems like, that uh, it has shown up when they do pop up as, hey, we developed the... Uh, cockpit uh, fighting stuff for the Battlefront series for Star Wars Battlefront. Right, 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 right. And, and then we did the VR stuff, and it's like, yeah, this feels like a Criterion thing. And then they have been uh, definitely supporting on Need for Speed for some time. Yeah, Ghost took over, but Ghost actually a lot mm -hmm. of former Criterion people work there as well. So it's like yeah. that that culture has existed. I think for me, I'm like continue to be curious about the future of Battlefield, and this seems like they are, they want they know that they need to continue to invest on that and like bring it back and reestablish yeah. it as a premier franchise. Uh, but I wonder if that's good money after bad at a certain point is battlefield's time over or am I just like m missing something there? I don't know. Cause I was thinking about that too. I was like, I was like, I remember battlefield, but it's never at like the forefront of my mind. In fact, I was yeah. like, yeah. So it's, it's interesting because Obviously, there are a lot of uh, games in the FPS sort of genre, which I will fully admit, not my cup of tea. Uh, but that being said, it's like it's interesting when you were like, I think that. There's two sort of ways to go about it. It's either that you you create something that's really unique and pops or or is a game studio that has a lot of respect, like something like Riot did with Valorant, where, you know, they yeah. kind of shifted to really push that to the forefront. Um, right. You know, and that's right there in that Riot launcher that like, has all the advantages in the world. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think that there is space uh, for a legacy title like Battlefield to be revived and pushed to the Wait, forefront me, let, i don't know let me ask when you, yeah. so when you say legacy what i think is it's again it's going to cost 70 dollars. and do you think <laughs> like do you think okay, that, that do you think that should the, do. yeah do you think this should still be 70 like trying to compete with call of duty in that space or should they shift all the way to free to play i mean talk no, about they, connected battlefield universe say. yes they should i know they're talking about a connected battlefield universe i think that the, i'm with you that the way you get this back into the the cultural zeitgeist you get this back on people's radars is you do a free to play version yeah. you just have to you have I think to these would like just completely misread the situation yeah uh, the, the battlefield before that was coming out in a time that was basically before fortnite and then we went to 2042 and 2042 felt like it was still existing in that world and, yeah, the, and yeah, everyone yeah. was like i can play warzone or fortnite or apex legends or uh, or valorant 
or, yep. or, or even Counter-Strike. Yeah, it's $15, mm-hmm. but everyone's bought Counter-Strike. So I can play any yeah. of these games that everybody has access to without having to like convince someone to spend another $60 to $70. And, and, and it's like, well, Battlefield 2042 kind of ran into that wall i think and yeah now yeah. it's been on subscription services but it missed its moment and now they're and now they're trying to like clean up the mess a little bit and it's like uh, I, yeah. I don't know uh people want to like battlefield people want battlefield to be up there as one of these premier franchises so i think they have that going for them but um mm-hmm. it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be tough uh to really figure out that the space uh, the good news for them maybe is that they they see that and it's, 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 it's not actually good news for them but the good news for battlefield <laughs> Is that Apex Legends is, is on the decline, so it's like EA is going to be very interested in finding the next replacement in terms of being their big, excuse me, sure. free to play shooter that can make a lot of money. So it's like yeah, that if you could do sort of a one like a TikTok thing where it's like here's the tick was Apex Legends, and now the talk can be all right. Now Battlefield's going to come in for a few years as a free to play game and replace that, and then as that totally. starts to wane, we'll have the next big thing that is the follow up to Apex Legends from Respawn yep. and so on and so forth. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right. Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trilogy is coming to Game Pass next week. This is from Tom Ivan. Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trilogy is coming to Game Pass next week. It re- includes remasters of the first three games in Capcom's series, which were Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Justice for All, and Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trials and Tribulations. Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trilogy will be available for Xbox Game Pass and PC Game Pass on September 26th. So we're talking about five days from now, it'll be available. Additionally, Apollo Justice Ace Attorney Trilogy will be released on Xbox Series X and S in early 2024. Another chance to like introduce this series to a new a new audience, right? Because I, I, oh I, yeah, I think this is gonna. I, I think you, there's just not a lot of overlap there in in the Venn diagram, right? No, there's not. Uh, I mean, this is the thing, you know, with the Ace Attorney series, as I recall. Uh, in I think I want to say like 2021, they started bringing a lot of those titles to Switch, yep. um, which obviously they are a fantastic fit for the Switch because they're oh, effectively course, visual yeah. novels. Yes. Um, so, you know, I mean, they're they're lawyer visual novels and there's trials and things like that. It's not like a romance uh-huh. VN kind of situation. But, yeah, I mean, it's like obviously it's a lot of uh, of making dialogue selections and, you know, putting piecing together clues in a case and things like that. But what I will say is that. This is this is such a great fit for Game Pass because once again, it's a oh, I already have Game Pass. Here are these fun little interesting games that I might not have checked out otherwise. But again, I have it available to me, so you might as well. Um, And as you say, it's just it's a great way to introduce this to a new audience. And we're also seeing again, this is a Capcom title. This is Capcom making its way into Game Pass, which is clearly something that they have an interest in doing yep yep just another example <laughs> and it's like for something like this it's like yeah. you know, you're gonna go put, yeah you can go put it on xbox but if you put it on game pass it doesn't get lost it gets it gets that yes. that momentum and uh and i think the old story of hey some games sell better when they're in game pass this is the one where it feels like that might be true or it's like hey I'm, I'm gonna try this i'm gonna play it yes and then and i get that discount because i have the game pass subscription Yes. So and I want to like make sure I have it when it leaves Game Pass. So I'm just going to go ahead and pick it up because now I'm super into this. And before and I didn't also, know, before I, I couldn't try it, so I didn't even know if yeah. it would be my thing. Well, and look, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is universally true, but I will say that Game Pass, because uh, again, these things do when they're added to Game Pass, they get that boost of being like newly added to Game Pass. And so you open up your Xbox, you have your Game Pass subscription, and you see what's on there, and you're like, oh, that seems cool. I will say for me. 
I saw, going back to Sea of Stars, which I mentioned before, I saw that it was on Game Pass and I was like, ooh, I want to play that. But that feels like a game that I want to play when I'm horizontal. Uh, <laughs> so I bought it for the Switch. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly how I feel as well. <laughs> And it's like it, it it can influence the ecosystem like across platforms, even I would say. Uh, that's perfect. Uh, all right, let me uh, get ready for this next one, which is going to have a little visual element. Let's see if that's on there. There we go. Just uh, okay. There we go. Uh, all right. Uh, Suda Fifty One and Swery Sixty Five have revealed the first Hotel Barcelona gameplay. This is from Tom Ivan at VGC. Goichi Suda and excuse, excuse me, Goichi Suda and Hidetaka Suhiro uh, have revealed the first Hotel Barcelona gameplay. No More Heroes creator Suda, who often goes by the name Suda Fifty One, and Deadly Premonition creator Suhiro, uh, Suhiro, often known as Sweary Sixty Five, first announced in 2019 that they wanted to make a horror game called Hotel, Hotel Barcelona. Hotel Barcelona is a 2.5D action game that parodies slasher films written directed by, by Swery for, from an original idea by Suda51. It will be released in 2024 for Xbox Series X and S, PS5, and PC via Steam. Uh, the trailer, which you guys are watching right now, uh, reveals the first gameplay footage of the title since its announcement premiered during Xbox's Tokyo Game Show broadcast on Thursday. Hotel Barcelona the place where all the action takes place is an integrated leisure complex featuring facilities such as a casino and camping ground around the hotel to create a single living world with seven smaller worlds inside, Sweary told Xbox Wire. Um, I, 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 I like Suda, I like Sweary. The idea of them working together felt like something that would happen eventually in a, in a, if things all went right. And hey, we actually happen to live in that timeline. And this looks pretty cool to me. This is for me. Yep. Um, it just is. Uh... Man, I love horror games. Uh, I love horror as a genre in general. And the fact that this is taking you through the different subgenres of horror within this world. And you do also have the element of the sort of Metroidvania view yep. of the yeah, it looks the like Metroid. It looks like Metroid Dread. Yep. Uh, yeah, this is for me. Can't wait. And it's like they're they're doing the... Uh... It, it, they're not like letting the perspective limited limit them. There's a oh, lot no. of huge bosses in the background that are coming, popping yes. out and affecting you. And it's like, so they're, and it, you know, it doesn't look super scary, but it looks spooky no. and fun and thematically horrified. And right. it's so, yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like the, you know, playing around with, like they were saying, the different subgenres, the slashers and zombie horror and summer camps and babysitters. Like that's, I, I just love, I just love that. Oh, it's it's horror movie season. It's spooky season. I wish we had this right now. <laughs> exactly, me too. It's coming in 2024. We'll see more. Obviously, they seem to be working closely with the with the, with Xbox on this, but it's coming to P PlayStation as well as well as PC. Heck yeah! Like a Dragon producer is hesitant to bring Yakuza games to Nintendo Switch. This is from Darren Bonthus at Gamespot. Yakuza games used to be PlayStation exclusive, but over the years, over the last couple of years, the series has landed on other platforms. Just about every game in the mainline series can be found on Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S, and PC. But don't expect to see Kiryu Kazuma busting heads on the Nintendo Switch. Though Nintendo's hybrid video game console could technically run the Yakuza games on its hardware or even stream them in a manner similar to the recent Resident Evil games, executive producer and Ryuga Gotoku, uh, Gotoku uh, studio head Masayoshi Yokoyama, I'll get there eventually, is hesitant for now to port the adult series to that system. Do we want to put a little, put a title like this where we're, where we're going around and picking a fight with the world and doing all this Yakuza stuff on a Switch? Uh, he says, uh, yeah, we still kind of want to, but basically they're not sure that the audience is right fit. I think he's wrong, Emma. I think we'd do great. I 
These rock too. I think that these games would be awesome uh, on the Switch. I think that they are uh, misjudging how many grown-ups own Switch. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah, like... You know, you, you look at a game like Animal Crossing selling really well, and it's like, oh, well, obviously that's kids. It's like, no, that's all, like, adults who want to, like, have a fantasy world where doing your tasks is somehow satisfying. Like, sure, that's, yeah. And and so it's like that audience would also be very... Yakuza is basically Animal Crossing, basically. Like, the, the fundamentally. basically Animal Crossing. Yes, so yes. just make the natural leap there and get get those two kids together. <laughs> And let's make magic happen. I, I mean, I think Yakuza ends up on a Nintendo device within the next couple of years. Well, people in chat have pointed out that there was a Yakuza one and two uh, on the port, on the on the Wii U. On the Wii U, and exactly. It sold like trash. It sold yeah. so poorly um, yeah. to the point where I think those games are very rare uh, and worth a lot. I, I could be wrong about that, but I know it sold like yeah. shit. So that's what that's what happened. That's the real story totally. here. Is it sold bad yeah. on the Wii U? And now they're like, ah, we, that audience doesn't want these games. The Switch audience it has nothing to do with the Wii U audience. Like the Wii U audience moved do. on, but the, the, like then that's like five percent of the people who own the Switch, and then the yeah. Switch is everyone else in the world at this point. Everyone in the world has a Switch. I mean, look, this is the thing: is you're getting this game out to a ton of people by putting it on the Xbox. More people have Switches. Yep. Yes. Exactly. And it's <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, and so because of that. I, I think this series, like a dragon, ends up on the, on a Switch two probably here in the next couple of years, like the next two yeah. years. I, I'm like I very think so too. I mean, I think that once again, it's like as we see these games really grow in popularity in the Western market, thanks to their inclusion in Xbox Game Pass, they're going to change their mind. <laughs> yep, I think so. <laughs> Uh, Crystal Dynamics is the latest Embracer studio to suffer layoffs. This is from James Batchelor. Crystal Dynamics has laid off 10 people, making it the latest Embracer-owned studio to downsize since its parent company began restructuring. The Tomb Raider developer posted a statement on Twitter revealing nine brand and marketing personnel and one IT employee had to been let, has been let, have been let go. The company attributed this to an, ex, an internal restructuring to align the studio with our current business needs. Just, I'll just continue horseshit out of Embracer. Uh, Crystal mm-hmm. Dynamics is working with the affected staff to support them in search for new employment, uh, like always. Uh, boy, I could not have... I mean, I was never high on Embracer, and yet somehow I'm, I, every day I hit new lows in terms of my opinion of this company. Um, they ha- Zero vision other than just borrowing money to buy things. And and now, now the, the inevitable that everyone was saying would happen back then if things went bad... And surprise, they went bad, and now mm-hmm. here we are, and it's just one bad story out of, after another coming out of Embracer Studios laying people off when they should be, like, ramping up to, like, release all these great games from all these studios that they acquired. And it's like, they, they're going to try to do that, and it just seems uh, hopeless at this point. I don't know. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with you. It's so, it's just so frustrating to, to see, anytime you see these studios get, bought up and then suffer as a result. I mean, this is the thing is anytime there's any sort of like mergers and acquisitions, there's always a certain number of layoffs as there's some restructuring and things done. But I mean, this, this just keeps happening in droves, you know? Yeah. And it's like, um, these studios have had like the crystal dynamics and a handful of other studios that have experienced layoffs. Many of them had, have had big successes in the past and they they probably will have more in the future. And crystal dynamics has an ongoing working relationship with Microsoft working on perfect dark. And it's like, so they have money coming in 
And then they're also working on Tomb Raider games and Tomb Raider's getting licensed off to to Amazon to make like TV shows or movies or whatever the hell it yeah. is. So it's like the everything around this studio is, mm-hmm. is seemingly on the up, but because everything else in Embracer is shit, it's dragging these studios down. It's like, this is, if everyone's like the problem with consolidation. It's like, yeah, I mean, when, when, it, when a company has zero vision and, and it's not like things are, um, were rosy over at fucking Square Enix for Crystal Dynamics. They were on a pathway to getting, having layoffs happening regardless. 100%. Uh, yeah. And really that was already consolidation. So it's like moving from one company to another, not actually consolidation other than the fact mm-hmm. that Embracer is one company that owns all these studios, but Right. It was one order, one owner as opposed to another for this one specific studio. Still, though, this is the problem when like a, a bigger company has problems and they they are looking just to cut, and it doesn't matter the results from that one studio. They're still going to have no. to pay the price for everyone else. That's I know a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. And Crystal Dynamics, man, they they had their moment. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, uh, they, I just I so associate them with the OG PlayStation as being one of the studios that had the the games that really really popped uh obviously tomb raider but i mean i was a i was a gex player those gex oh, yeah. ads hell yeah they were amazing gex. <laughs> you know so bring, bring back gex bring yeah. back gex you know that's what, what i mean like we, we need, yeah well, that's what we need that's what we need get a put on a um, gex t-shirt phil spencer put that on on your put blazer on a gex t-shirt and uh you know get um uh geico uh auto insurance yeah. in there as a sponsor let's just have a crossover that, of, of gex and the geico. that's what we really geico. need that's what gaming really needs it needs super smash brothers but for the forgotten uh uh mascots, yes, for the forgotten gex, mascots. sure put the gecko gex in there as well but yo noid um, and pepsi yeah. man and and uh spot. cool spot yes cool spot yes um, all of them you, you could also get in uh um uh sparkster remember those remember there was like that was another like failed pseudo mascot and yeah exactly that's that's what i need that's what we're gonna make happen. exactly <laughs> uh valve teases possible counter-strike 2 launch for september 27th again that's a week from now uh from jason finelli at GameSpot. After initially promise, uh, pro- uh, promised uh, as a free update this summer, the official launch of Counter-Strike 2, a sequel to the iconic first-person shooter, has yet to come to pass, unless so, like, you're someone who just got the update automatically, and that's a lot of people. Uh, if recent social media activity is any, any indication, though, that might change as soon as September 27th. Recently, the game's official Twitter account posted a simple question. What are you doing next Wednesday? No other posts were made, and nothing mm-hmm. has been announced by Valve since the post went up. Counter-Strike 2 was first announced back in March as a free update to Counter-Strike Global, Global Offensive, with all earned items in CSGO carrying over to the new game. Um, yeah, th- this will probably happen. And I've been, like, really yeah. wanting to check this out. And I, part of me was like, oh, that, that already happened. It's like, no, like, just a lot of people got in early, and now there hasn't been much noise one way or the other since mm-hmm. then. This feels like, yeah, we'll get this uh, September 27th, and, and then I will pop in there and check this out. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Counter-Strike still one of the biggest games in the world. Still has some of the most oh. players in the world. Just gigantic. Oh, yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah, this makes sense. It, as you say, going to happen, most likely. Chat is like, wait, didn't we already know what the release date was? Uh, I don't know. Did we did, have they said this somewhere? If they have, then fair, fair enough. But it's like, I, I knew we, it was no, supposed to be coming this so. world or th- this this year. So, but uh, yeah. beyond that, I'm not sure if we knew exactly when. Uh, all right. Lego's next Mario set for adult collectors is a giant piranha plant uh, from Chris Scullion at VGC. 
Uh, Lego has revealed its next Super Mario set for, for adult collectors. I don't know why he phrases like that. A large piranha plant. Uh, the set was teased on the official Lego Twitter account with the message, Waking soon, discover the new, newest Lego Super Mario set emerging from our pipeline. The model shown in the video is clearly a piranha plant, and the video also features the music that plays in Super Mario 64 when you walk past a sleeping piranha plant. Uh, this I, this is a weird choice, and yet I like it. I really have always liked the design of the piranha plant, and this looks pretty cool. This is amazing. Uh, it's so the chat is popping off about eighteen plus content being made uh -huh. from Lego by Nintendo. Yeah. It's, it's flesh colored. See, Yakuza developers, uh -huh. grown ups love Nintendo. That's um, right. Uh, 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 yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> the, the piranha plant. Now, I will just always associate with the piranha plant activity that you do in Super Nintendo World. Uh, I know that when y'all went, it was super busy and you probably didn't do any of the stuff you do with your power up band to no, get to the Bowser busy, Jr. Yes. fight. So I got to go on um, the opening yeah. night. Uh, yeah, I went to the opening night party, which was great because there you know, were not people there. So we could do those games as much as we wanted. And I played all of them on hard mode, which was amazing. Oh, that's awesome. I'd already, it was so fun. Oh, my God. But the Piranha Plant one is huh hilarious uh i know that somewhere floating around on fandom there is a video of when bailey and i went to opening night and you can see us running around like absolute maniacs trying to turn off all of the alarm clocks so the piranha mm -hmm. plant doesn't wake up and that's just forever what i will uh Ooh. associate i'm here to build a piranha plant for my home though 100 i love lego i love piranha plants let's go i i think yeah i think this actually looks really cool uh they did a really yeah. good job on it so oh my god and i the the sonic the hedgehog uh sets which i did get a chance to see at comic-con this year dude i want them i definitely want to buy those they're just so cute like lego and pixelated video game go hand in hand yep absolutely yeah and it's uh it's a good fit and i i enjoy I drew the idea of making them. I still have my Seinfeld set on the counter over there that I haven't worked on forever that I need to finish, but yeah, I might still end up buying some of these. That's the problem. Uh, yep. All right. <laughs> finally, here's Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty Review Roundup. Uh, over at Destructoid, Eric Van Allen gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Says Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty is a great expansion with a conclusion that easily secures it a spot on CD Projekt Red's track record for great expansions. Digital Trends, uh, Jesse Lennox gave it a 4 out of 5. With a strong spy story and performances to match, Phantom Liberty, get, Phantom Liberty why can't I say Liberty, uh, gives <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077 the extra chapter it needed. And Rock, Paper, Shotguns, Graham Smith didn't give it a score, but says a brilliantly, brilliantly written and performed spy thriller set in the middle of Night City and of Cyberpunk 2077's overarching story. Um, I will say that most of the praise for this game that has, I think, right now an 89 out of 90 or 89 or 90 on Metacritic in that range. Um, most of the praise is for the story and uh, and the acting, the performances and the visuals. And I, uh, I've played a little bit of this and I have to echo all of that. It is... Uh, it seems really well written. I, I'm into the performances. I'm very into the characters. I'm into uh, the genre that they're going for, which is political spy thriller. Uh, yeah. That is such a, such my jam. Again, I'm 40 years old. So yeah, give me fucking Tom Clancy <laughs> bullshit, I guess. That's the age I've, I've entered into. Um, but yeah, all that stuff gets my juices flowing. So I'm like, yeah, let's get it. Let's check this stuff out. But this still is not the game that they promised. Like, I, I, and I don't think oh, no. at this point anyone cares about that anymore. And I think it's like we understand what Cyberpunk is, so it has a much better shot of of satisfying what people want from it at this point. 
It's not. Yeah. It is not those things that we saw in the trailers, the reveal trailers from E3. No. It is not some super reactive world. It is not no. going to account for all your decisions. And the and the 2.0 update and the uh and and the um uh, expansion aren't changing that. What they're doing is making combat way better, making building out your yeah. character way better, making the role playing feel a little bit better, and then having an awesome story. And it's like that is actually more than good enough for Cyberpunk at this point. So, oh, correct. Because yeah. I, I mean, this is the thing. Is again, it's that Cyberpunk 2077 is in the long existing world of cyberpunk mm -hmm. the tabletop role-playing game yep. uh and so what i think phantom liberty has done correctly which i don't know if that's a word but i'm making it one right now what it, what it's doing right here is that it is telling a good genre story within yeah. the world of cyberpunk yep absolutely and that's uh that's we, a good thing that's what they should be doing correct yeah, I mean, that's why Cyberpunk Edge Runners, the Netflix series, got so much praise, including from the creator of Cyberpunk, because they were just telling a good story within Cyberpunk's Night City. Yes, exactly. Uh, people are people. Uh, CD Projekt Red is recommending people um, start a new get a new file to go into this. For, for uh, yeah. And, and no. No, I'm not going to do no, that. No, you're not starting. You're like, I can't. I couldn't Fucking possibly. No way. Absolutely not. No. Uh, I'm not gonna like go through the 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 intro scene stuff uh, before I get to the the DLC. Like I've there's so many games to play, so I loaded up my save right before the end of the game, and I just drove over to the edge of town and went over there, and I've got all my my skill points, and I nice. do have to like res I have to respect because the skill system is completely different than what it was. But whatever, I'll learn how to play the game. Here's my big question: Is there a flashlight yes. in Cyberpunk 2077? Because I have path tracing Ooh. turned on, and so I only have like the light only comes from the light sources and so i'll like walk into like a hallway and there's no light sources and it's dark as fuck and i'm like i can't see anything oh in this god. game so i'm That's like hilarious. i keep looking for a flashlight button and i can't find it so i don't know maybe maybe i'll just keep playing until i get outside i or don't know if there's a flashlight i must admit i think, uh, I think I, there isn't I'm, actually that's the thing i'm with the people in chat uh congratulating uh cd project red on cyberpunk 2077 finally getting out of early access uh -huh. it does uh, it, so like, now, boy, it does feel like hey what if they released that game this year instead and, yeah, and this is what they released yep now it's playable to me so yep exactly <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go install flashlight mod that's what that'll be really cool with, with ray tracing i would love that all oh, right, yeah. uh, let's take a look here. I got a poll question from yesterday this time. Okay. I actually do have it. Here we go. Do you like when celebrities do voices for characters in video games? 29% say yes, 34% say no, and 37% say no, but it's fine for things like special skins. And I'm kind of, mm. I waver between those two, but I'm kind of in a bad, uh, bad taste from... Um, Ronda Rousey and Megan Fox in the recent Mortal Kombat games. Uh, they, they are, yeah. a, those were both poor choices, I think. Uh, they, and they feel like stunt casting in a way that is yeah. detrimental to video games. I don't know. How do you feel? I don't know. But then you look at like Norman Reedus in Death Stranding. That's true. And you look at Kojima Keanu, knows how to do it. And you look at Idris Elba in Cyberpunk 2077. You look at Giancarlo Esposito in Far Cry. You know, like there's a lot of, times where it's really good yeah and it sounds terrible because everybody i just named is a man and we're specifically <laughs> and, and, and saying and then i'm complaining about ronda rousey and, well ronda rousey I, go fuck go fuck herself but uh, yeah, uh megan but that's fox totally I, I have nothing but respect for megan fox i just I think it was a good but fit. respect for megan yes. fox i just don't think she's a voice actor exactly you know exactly. like it's a different skill um yeah yeah it's tough i think uh in general 
I would prefer they lean against from celebrities and lean away from celebrities and lean towards voice actors. But that doesn't, I, that's, I, there's no, it, it, that's just a rule of thumb, you know? Yes, I agree with you from the perspective of voice acting being a different, it's all acting, but there is, it's a different skill set um, yes. to, to effectively uh, pull off voice acting where your only uh, tool is your voice uh, and you can't really use your face to emote. I mean, obviously now they'll like, they facial scan for uh, motion capture and things like that. But yeah. Uh, I'm I am also uh, more on the side of no. Yep. All right. I got a new poll question. I'll ask here in a second. But in the meantime, Emma, one more time, tell people where they could find you. Tell people about the new show again. Hello, I am Emma Fife. Uh, I am found all over the Internet at my name, Emma Fife. Uh, Twitter, Instagram. My Twitch channel is Emma Fife. I actually have been streaming a little bit on Twitch uh, lately. I've been playing a little Baldur's Gate 3. So that's been a great time uh, if you want to show up and uh you know try to uh, seduce some thirsty party members that's mostly <laughs> what the game's about right um and then also be sure to check out my show over on the GameSpot youtube channel new episodes drop on tuesdays it is called reality check go on over leave me a comment let me know what you think uh thank you to everybody that's already been over there i know there's definitely been a bunch of giant bomb people leaving love in the comments and i see you and i really really appreciate it yeah, and remember the show's motto go fuck that bear yeah, go fuck that bear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, new poll question. Let's hear. Do you want Yakuza on Switch? Yes, that would be great. And, or Ooh. no, I'd rather play it somewhere else. Uh, we'll get that posted up on YouTube.com slash at Giant Bomb under the community tab. You can click the community tab there. It'll take you to that post. And sometimes we post the schedule up there and all that stuff. Probably a good idea to follow us on YouTube. Oh, all right, Emma, thank you so much for taking your time to talk with us today. Talk with me today about video games. I really appreciate yes, it. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Giant Bomb will be back with more, everybody. We got voicemail dump truck. I'm probably going to play Mortal Kombat today, uh, trying to get through uh, Mortal yes. Kombat X as we get trying to continue the story modes and so I can get into Mortal Kombat 1. Uh, that'll Amazing. happen. I should finish that today, actually, now that I think about it. I was pretty close to the ending last time. Get that, and then maybe we'll just hop right into 11. And go there and play that DLC and all that stuff. Uh, also, uh, let's see what else. Oh, the, Jan busted his butt. He got the Nintendo uh, Nintendo World thing. Not the Nintendo World thing. The Nintendo PAX thing. The video of us touring that floor. He got that up on the site. Oh, and it's cool. up on YouTube. You can watch our, our trip there. Uh, the best part is when we see Kirby waddling sideways through one of the aisles <laughs> so we can go have a, a water break. And we're just like all yes. flabbergasted, all our jaws on the floor. It's a really special moment, but everything in that video is really, really great. I'm really happy that Jan was able to capture most of that magic. So go, go watch that right now. We'll have more videos of our trip to PAX here pretty soon as well. And then tomorrow, we'll have UPF. We're going to play Party Animals. I'm looking forward to it. Kind of kind of can't wait. Until then, <laughs> though, everybody, have a good one. You're the best audience in gaming. Take care of yourself, and goodbye.